Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Good morning. It is Monday, January 4th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. Joined right now by Chris Hummer, national college football writer for 24-7 Sports. Chris, we're back in the swing of things here on the College Football Daily. Good Christmas break, New Year's break. We got a lot of great football in between, but... We'll have an episode every single day this week. And it's been a few days at this point now since uh, the college football playoff semifinals, but we have to talk about that. We have to talk about Ohio State beating Clemson 49-28 to and Alabama beating Notre Dame 31-14, to setting up a, a matchup uh, between Ohio State and Alabama in Miami next week for the national championship. We were talking before we hit record. I think my biggest takeaway in both games is talent matters so much in college football, recruiting talent. I, I think we're well past the point of, of people saying stars don't matter. And I think when you get to the playoffs and when you get to the national title game, the margins of talent matter even more. Like Clemson is the number four most talented team in college football. Ohio State is number three, but the gap between them is 60 points and the average player ranking is about three points. Yeah, unquestionably. And I think we have gotten past the point in college football fandom where we dismiss talent. And I think talent more than ever, uh, is concentrated at the top among a select few teams. Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, as you mentioned. Clemson is one of those teams, but as you said, the gap between Clemson and Ohio State is considerable in some areas. And I think that was really evident um, kind of in two spots on Saturday evening. It was along the offensive was line. I think it was Friday. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Friday evening. Yeah, it's been, it's been a long week. Clemson along the offensive line, particularly the interior. Clemson's guards were just consistently beaten on Friday evening on the inside, both in pass rush situations and run situations. Travis Etienne had a really difficult time getting anything going up the middle. That's really evident when you look at the box score. Clemson averaged two yards a rush. Travis Etienne, one of the greatest running backs in college football history, ended his career with 10 carries for 32 yards. Clemson could not get anything consistently up front. Trevor Lawrence, due to kind of the pass rush of Haskell Garrett and that uh, Ohio State kind of interior was pressured up the middle. He was never really as comfortable as you would like him to be in the situation. And then if you look on the outside for Clemson, like Clemson, a school we've considered wide receiver U for a long time, or at least under that consideration, like just did not have the players on the outside consistently beat Ohio State's corners one-on-one. And I thought going into the week, and I think you did as well, that Ohio State's secondary would be a potential weakness. And while Sean Wade did have his kind of um, issues at times, like Clemson was not enough, able to win enough of those one-on-one matchups in a way, maybe Chris Olave on the outside was consistently for Justin Fields. Like Ohio State's receivers were running open at times and beat those one-on-one matchups to where Justin Fields have kind of the deep ball available to him that Clemson's receivers were not. And those two factors, I really think, told the story of the game, along with Clemson's defensive front, which is really talented. Two five-star, two freshmen start there. They're just really young. And they were getting, especially Brian Brzee, like this has been a story all season. Brian Brzee is excellent. He's going to be a superstar. But his run defense, especially when you have to put him in a role Tyler Davis usually occupies, really suffers. And Ohio State ran the ball really well as a result as the interior of their line controlled the game. 
And I, I've gone on for a while, but I think all of those things like really mattered on Friday night. You have to have next man up uh, on Clemson's defense this, this year. A lot of injuries. Nolan Turner was out for the first half of the targeting and the next guys up just weren't good enough. And I think, I think it's going to be interesting. Like Clemson is recruiting better than they used to. The, the talent's rising. I thought it was fitting. They got a commitment from five-star Tristan Lee on Saturday. Huge. Uh, a few hours after, like it was very clear that their, their offensive line needed to, to really improve, especially if they lose Jackson Carmen. But I think talent, team total talent from positions one through 44, and then interior, as you said, and, and the outside, they just matter so much. And I think those same lessons were learned in the Notre Dame, Alabama Rose Bowl, like Notre Dame can contend with Alabama in the middle, but Notre Dame had absolutely no chance of stopping anybody on Alabama on the outside. Devonte Smith, John Mechie, Jaleel Billingsley, when, when, when the tight end was out there, Najee Harris was an absolute weapon in the passing game. Mac Jones has the easiest job in the world. And then on the flip side, Notre Dame doesn't, like they just don't have any receivers who could um, portend a problem for Alabama. I think Brian Kelly was correct to be a little bit salty and a little bit gruff when people were asking him about another playoff blowout. The score of thirty-one to fourteen, it wasn't that close. But like, what, what do you what do you expect? What do you expect against against Alabama um, when you're Notre Dame? I think I think the Fighting Irish they have to get more explosive on both sides of the ball, and they have to figure out what to do without Ian Book at quarterback. But I, I think some, some lessons that Clemson's learning apply to Notre Dame as well. I think Barton Simmons, our colleague, is very fond of saying that um, wide receiver is the new defensive line in college football or the new must-have weapon. And Alabama figured that out earlier than anybody in the country. You give Nick Saban a lot of credit for adapting. And that 2017 class he brought in, was not only historic, because that will go down as arguably the greatest recruiting class of all time when we kind of look back at it. And I'm sure you'll talk to Hank South about that at some point. But if you look at the receivers he brought in, so he had three first-round receivers in that class, plus Tyrell Shavers, who didn't really work out. But not only were those three first-round receivers um, amazing, they really complemented each other. So you had Jerry Judy, who was kind of this slot dynamo. You had Henry Ruggs, who could take the top off of any defense with essentially four two speed. And then you had Devontae Smith who could work in the slaughter on the outside. And as we've seen, he's the most complete receiver we've seen in college football in a decade. And then like people don't remember him as much. And he transferred to Mississippi state and is back in the transfer portal. Again, you had Tyrell Shavers, a guy who's like six, five, like two twenty, a really prototypical X receiver who on paper could have taken the top off of a defense, win possession, kind of be a possession receiver of the middle. If you needed him to win jump balls in the end zone. So Nick Saban looks at these things like almost like a basketball team, like with receivers that fill certain roles for him. And he was ahead of the curve on that. And Notre Dame just doesn't have those type of weapons. They don't even have one of those weapons. And Brian Kelly is making strides to address that. They're bringing in three, four-star receivers in the 2021 class. Like there are weapons on the way for Notre Dame, but Alabama has more of that cachet. They have more of that currency than anybody in college football right now. And Ohio State does as well with Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson plus these deep stable of young receivers. And we're seeing that win out time and time again, because right now defenses are so they're put in such a difficult position with the way the rules work right now, with RPOs and with the way the field is spread and with substitution rules and everything else that wide receiver talent on the outside and talent at positions like running back, like Najee Harris just makes such a big difference. And Notre Dame and Clemson, at least this year did not have the weapons to kind of, or the horses to kind of get it done. The college football daily will be right back. 
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Yeah, I feel bad for Notre Dame. They had a few injuries. You know, they lost Chase Claypool. Interesting point about the wide receiver class. I think 10 years ago, you might have said, why is Devontae Smith or why is the lowest ranked? Why is Tyrell Shavers? Why, why do they want to be in the same classes as Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs? I think it's telling that they want to, that they, they know that there's plenty of targets to go around, that they know that the addition of each other star receiver is going to make the other one better. And then I think it's like, in 2018, the class, the, the next class, Jalen Waddle, who's hurt right now, he has no fear about joining such a loaded receiver room. So it's you got to stockpile it. We we've seen these cluster of receiver classes that are just phenomenal. Ohio State's 2020 class with uh, Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith, and Jigbud, uh, G. Scott. It's the new arms race in college football recruiting, and it's I would argue second only in importance only to getting that generational passer, but. It's pretty good to be an Ohio State or an Alabama fan right now because you look at the recruiting rankings and it's just it, it just feels like it's going to get a whole lot better. Before moving on, it's important to point out that both schools in 2021 have not maybe maybe not historic recruiting halls at receiver, but I think Alabama has four uh, top 100 receivers and Ohio State has three, including Marvin Harrison Jr. So they they're continuing to load up. This trend for both of those schools is not stopping anytime soon. Yeah, and I, I tweeted this out on early signing day, but and I I don't know has have his name in front of me. It might be Javon Baker. Alabama's lowest ranked receiver signee in 2021 is like 68th in the composite. It's Christian, Christian Leary at number 68 in the country. So the number That's 68 insane. overall receiver and the number nine receiver in his class is the lowest rated receiver in Alabama. And class if right you now. look at other classes in the top 10, whether that be the AP top 25 or the top 10 of the um, the the team recruiting rankings. Not many of them would even have a receiver ranked in the top 70. So Alabama and uh, Ohio State right now have seven of the top 15 receivers in 2021 committed. That's half of the available top 15 receivers in the country are going to those two schools. The perfect way as we wrap this little conversation point up, while we're trying to hammer home the importance of receiver recruiting and talent on the outside mattering, I guess I'll just go back to either this year's Clemson uh, Clemson Sugar Bowl or, or last year's Clemson game in the Superdome as well, where you have A.J. Terrell, a first-round pick. There's just, there's just nothing you can do against Jamar Chase. Or this year you have Darion Kendrick, who might be lacking in long speed, but could be a first-round pick, second-round pick. There's just nothing he can do against Chris Olave. And uh, you said it, the rules are as they are. A great receiver will beat a great cornerback every single time. Derek Stingley will be a top 10, top five pick if he plays better this fall in 2022. And he had no hope of stopping Devontae Smith. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly the matchup I was going to bring up. Devontae Smith owned Derek Stingley a year ago. Same thing this year. And ultimately, like with the way the rules are predicated, with the way offenses work, receivers, great receivers are going to win out most of the time. And all you need and these situations is a good offensive line, which both of these teams have. I would argue that these two teams probably have two of the top five offensive lines in college football. They have excellent quarterback play. Both will likely have first-round quarterbacks. And when you have those two things in place, 
along with the weapons they have on the outside, they're very, very difficult to stop week to week, especially if they're schemed well. And Ryan Day and Steve Sarkeesian are two of the best in the country at that. So we all, like hindsight's twenty twenty, but it is not shocking to see these two teams in the position they are, given their rosters, given their construction, given the way the game is called for them. Like they are, they are the two most dynamic teams in the country offensively. And uh, it's not shocking to see them here at all. A hundred percent. We'll, we'll be diving in all week here to, to preview that national title game. I, I'm sure I'll get Patrick Murphy and Charlie Potter on for a Bama Ohio state preview. Chris, you, you, uh, you name drop Steve Sarkeesian. That's a pretty good segue. He's the new Texas Longhorns football coach. So before we jump off on this episode, we absolutely have to talk about that. I was thinking a little bit this morning, Texas on Saturday woke up with Tom Herman as the head coach. Texas went to bed collectively with Steve Sarkeesian as a head coach. I don't know if, if the year of 2020, like Tyson zoned us into nothing shocks us anymore, but I really don't have people have been texting me. I, I really do not have this like salacious reaction to it. I'm just like, okay, all right. Like, Let's see what happens here. I don't want to say Texas fans are jaded, but like I feel like we we are both very familiar with the University of Texas. We both went there. And I feel like it's been such a long time since Texas was consistently a contender, consistently in a position to win football games that like you're kind of almost numb to kind of the process. Obviously there was a lot of a lot of really hurt feelings over Tom Herman this year. But as for an answer outside of Urban Meyer, I'm just not sure if anybody knew what the slam dunk would be. I think Steve Sarkeesian's a good hire. I, I don't know if he's going to fix the program. I wrote yesterday that he does inherit a roster ready to win championships. We talk so much about talent today. And Texas ranks just behind Clemson at number five in the 24-7 sports team talent composite rankings. They've got five stars like Bijan Robinson and Alfred Collins that are ready to potentially be superstars in college football. Like The talent's there, but Texas, for one reason or another, be it penalties, poor coaching decisions, bad development, lazy recruiting, just hasn't been in a position to win national championships recently. And like Steve Sarkeesian, as good as he's been as Alabama's offensive coordinator, has had his struggles as a head coach, both at Washington and at USC. So he's probably a very different man after coming out of Alabama's building. He's certainly different personally. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that at some point, kind of his background there. But I don't know if he's going to be able to do it, but like it'll be interesting to watch him try. Like the talent's there. And if Stark's the guy, like Texas hit a home run, but like, I I'm just very curious about how it's going to go. Yeah. Steve Sarkeesian struggled with alcohol abuse at USC. Uh, it lasted one and a half years there. He, he said, you know, it's, he's been five years sober, but it's something he works on every day. Definitely thinks he's grown as a person. My one thing I'll say is it feels less like he's being asked to overhaul the program in a way that urban Meyer would have, or even Tom Herman when he came in and, and was like, look, alignment, alignment, alignment. Culturally, we have to change. It feels just more like Steve Sarkeesian's, his job is to, to, with the talent on the roster, shift Texas into the next gear, make some inspiring assistant coaching hires, do better on the recruiting trail. Texas AD Chris Del Conte, I think he told reporters that the, the, the struggles that Tom Herman was having in recruiting and was going to be having in the future because of his status as a perennial hot seat coach it played a part like Texas's 2021 class is number 17. That's not good enough. Texas's 2022 class was potentially going to be even worse given the lack of positive momentum around the program. So it, it seems like a, a, a reset or a, a, a maybe a, like a, a more, I don't want to say smarter, but like a, a more precise or yeah, like a more precise version of Tom Herman. Like he's just maybe just a little bit sharper 
um, as far as he's a little bit, you know, he has a little bit more experience now as Steve Sarkeesian does compared to Tom Herman. And I don't know, that's, that's my take. Uh, and, and they need it because Oklahoma is surging. The Sooners are going to be a top five team in 2021. No question about it. Texas A&M, you know, 14 point orange bowl win on Saturday night, Jimbo Fisher. If Kellen Mond comes back and he's not going to, they, they would be number one, I think in, in, in next preseason, but those two. You think A&M would be number one in the country if Kellen Mond came back? I think so, yeah, because I've been the last few days struggling to think about who is going to be number one. I don't want to like get too much into it here because we're we're. I think it's going to be Alabama. <laughs> I was no, I was texting Charles Power about that. We were trying to figure out number ones, and we were like, "Look, if we trusted them a little bit more, it could be Georgia," but we just don't. I I agree with that. I agree with that. I think Georgia, Oklahoma, and Alabama, and maybe Ohio State are the four teams. Here's my thing with Alabama and Ohio State: they obviously lose their quarterbacks. Clemson loses their quarterback too, but DJ Uyangale has more experience. And it's going to be interesting because all, all those new starters are going to be class of 2020 kids who were five stars in CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. Bama replaces a lot. Ohio State replaces a lot. Clemson replaces a lot. Oklahoma, uh, I, you know, along the lines of Georgia, do we trust them enough as a, I don't know, Chris, or a Big 12 team? So I think Oklahoma is going to be great, but I'm sorry. All that's to say, I think AM is in a position now to. They were on the brink this year to absolutely contend for the playoff every single year. And Texas is going to get left behind even more than they already have been if they didn't make a move. I I don't disagree with that. And recruiting, as you said, is a huge part of that. 2022, if things break right for Texas, should be a really historic group. It's kind of like this 2020 class was where the Brockermeyer brothers should have been the crown jewel of what could have been a really special class in state for Texas Partly because of Tom Herman's kind of perpetual hot seat, Texas swung and missed on a bunch of those. And in 2022, you got a guy like Quinn Ewers who submitted no, Ohio State. He's not going to flip. I'm not. I'm just saying, like this should have been a special year with Billy Bowman, who's also committed to Ohio State, living 20 minutes up the road from campus. Like that was a class that should have been a slam dunk for Tom Herman to continue building towards kind of national title contention annually. It didn't happen, and given the hot seat he was on, it made sense for Crystal Conte to just kind of make the move and move on. Yeah, Billy Bowman, the 2021 kid. He's actually going to OU, but he's teammates. Oh, I'm with- sorry. I'm who am I thinking of? Um, he plays for he plays 20 minutes north. He's a five star in the 2022 class. He's a wide receiver. Caleb Burton. He's Caleb Burton. Ohio State. Sorry, there we go. No, that's no. It's it's kind of exemplifies the issues Texas is having, where we we can't really put our hand uh, can't quite figure out the name of the the star player, local player that Texas missed out on. So. All right, we're going to have a big week on the College Football Daily. I, I, I want to talk to Chip Brown about breaking the Steve Sarkeesian story. I want to uh, preview in-depth Alabama versus Ohio State. I, I'd like to talk to our Clemson and Notre Dame experts about what specifically they need to do to make sure they get back to the playoff and, and, and win a semifinal come 2021. And I don't know, a lot of recruiting stuff happening too, Chris. So thanks for helping me kick off this new year on the College Football Daily. I appreciate you jumping on. Our producer is Lance Glenn. I'm Trey Scott. We'll talk to you all on Tuesday. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.